Hello, this is Aaron Sims. Welcome again to my podcast. Um, other than the introduction podcast I did, this is the first um, first episode. And what I thought I'd do is start talking about the, the Christian creeds that we use, um, particularly what we call the three ecumenical creeds. So um, what I'm going to do for this, this session then is to talk about the, the history and the function of the creeds, talk about some common heresies that the, the creeds were meant to guard against, and then talk a little bit about the creeds themselves, mainly the Apostles, um, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Um, so when, I th- when we talk about the history of the creeds, they really began as uh, what were called rules of faith, um, which the, the apostles, as they went out and they founded congregations within the wider church, they, they taught these congregations, and those teachings were, were basically kind of summarized into these short statements that were called rules of faith. And uh, rule is used in the sense of like a, a ruler, so you judge things or you measure things against the rule of faith. And, and so the rules of faith function as this ruler for teaching. So if someone um, uh, said something about the Christian faith, or tried to teach something um, that the people could see how that measures up against what the apostolic teaching was that was distilled into the rule of faith that had been given to them. So um, each congregation then had its own rule of faith, but they're all basically the same because they all came from the apostles. Um, so each rule of faith focused on who the Trinity is and what each person of the Trinity um, does or is, is doing or has done. And that also means then that each rule of faith had um, three articles and there were three sections talking about who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is. And then depending on whatever the local heresy was, uh, one or more of the articles would be elaborated upon. So, um, for instance, uh, when a congregation uh, faced the, the Gnostic heresies, where the Gnostics said that the material world was evil, uh, what tended to happen was the first article of the creed about the Father as the creator of all things, that article would be elaborated upon to make the point that this material world is is good. It's fallen because of humanity's sin, but it's good because God created it. Um, so anyway, and again, each, each rule of faith was essentially the same because they came from the apostolic faith that was imparted to the apostles by Christ himself. So um, there's a good example of a rule of faith from the 2nd century. So Irenaeus, who was bishop of what's now uh, Lyon in southern France, which was part of Gaul at the time, he, um, in his book called Proof of the Apostolic Teaching, he includes a rule of faith in there. And uh, so I'll, I'll read it uh, briefly here and then... then talk about it. And if you uh, if you happen to have, like, say, the Apostles' Creed available, where you can look at it and compare it to what Irenaeus says, uh, that might be helpful, too. So he says, This, then, is the order of the rule of our faith, and the foundation of the building, and the stability of our conversation. God the Father, not made, not material, invisible, one God, the creator of all things, this is the first point of our faith. <coughs> the second point is, the Word of God, Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord, who was manifested to the prophets according to the form of their prophesying and according to the method of the dispensation of the Father, through whom all things were made. 
who also at the end of the times to complete and gather up all things was made man among men, visible and tangible in order to abolish death and show forth life and produce a community of union between God and man. And the third point is the Holy Spirit, through whom the prophets prophesied, and the fathers learned the things of God, and the righteous were led forth into the way of righteousness, and who in the end of the times was poured out in a new way upon mankind and all the earth, renewing man unto God. So that's the uh, that's a second century rule of faith, again from uh, Lyon in, in southern France today, which was a uh, basically the Roman uh, province of Gaul at the, back in that day. And you can see the you can see the three articles there. You can see how um, each article talks about a person of the Trinity and who he is and what he's done for our salvation. And the early church had a great term for this um, that they called the economy of God. So I uh, let me describe it. First, let me talk about why this concept of the economy of God is helpful. Economy basically means dispensation or how things are ordered. So the economy of God relates to how God has ordered or acted for our salvation, how he has dispensed his grace to us. And it's different than, than the ontological identity of God, of the persons of the Trinity. And what I mean by that is, um, and we'll talk about this later with the Athanasian Creed, but each person in the Trinity is fully God. Father's fully God, Son's fully God, Holy Spirit's fully God. And yet, they perform different functions to achieve our salvation. So the Father sends the Son. Uh, the Son dies and rises to achieve our salvation. And then they send the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith in the Son and what He did on the cross and the empty tomb um, in order to bring us that salvation personally. So that's the economy, how the persons of the Trinity have chosen to act, how they've chosen to order our salvation. And so in the um, kind of ontological view of God, all three persons of the Trinity are equal. And um, you, you see that in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Well, um, and I do the will of the Father. Um, and they have the same will. And you see that in Colossians where um, Paul talks about how the, the Son is the, the image of the Father because they're all God. Well, in the... Um, in the um, dispensational view or the, the divine economy, each person performs a different function. So the, uh, the Father sends the Son. Um, the, fa- the, the, um, the Son does, does the will of the Father in, in order to achieve our salvation. So you see kind of the difference there. Um, and, and then as well when Jesus talks about only, you know, no one knows the end of the ages except for the Father, that's kind of in that divine economy sort of view. Um, so the point there is I think sometimes uh, people get tripped up with, uh, with some of the, the things in the New Testament when they don't make a distinction between the ontological view of God and the divine economy view of God. Um, and, and what I mean by that is the distinction between who God is um, in his nature or essence and then who, um, or sorry, how God has chosen to act for our salvation. That's the economy. Anyway, with that said, um, let's talk a little bit about then the history of the creeds. So I mentioned uh, each congregation had its own rule of faith, and eventually um, the, uh, the rule of faith in, in Rome becomes known today as what we call the Old Roman Creed. 
and then uh, and then it eventually becomes what we call the Apostles' Creed with some with some um, updates to it. But but basically, the rule of faith of Rome becomes the old Roman Creed, and that becomes what we know as the Apostles' Creed. And it was developed sometime between 120 and, and 250 A.D. And then, um, so that's the Apostles' Creed. And then we come to the Nicene Creed. Um, that comes out of uh, councils in the 4th century, church councils. So in, uh, in three, 325 A.D., the Emperor Constantine uh, of the Roman Empire, uh, he convenes a council of the church. And this is in response to what's called the Arian controversy. So there was a, a bishop in the Christian church called Arius who uh, taught that Jesus was somehow less God than the Father. And this, his teaching really came about in an effort to, in a sense, protect the Father. So since Jesus came and, and was born and was incarnate and, and died and suffered. Um, Arius had a hard time with the concept of God undergoing all these things. So, so he said that Jesus was not, in a sense, fully God like the Father was. Um, so the, the council was called to address this issue and, and what came out of it um, between the, the Council of Nicaea and, the, and then the later Council of Constantinople in 381 was what today we call the Nicene Creed. But the Nicene Creed makes the point that the, the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God, and they're all fully God because they share the same essence um, or nature. So the, um, the concept of nature or essence is just what you are um, ontologically or, or in your own nature. So as a person, my nature is to be a, a human. I'm a human. Uh, cats, they have a cat nature, dogs, they have a dog nature, and so on. Um, the point was that each person in the Trinity, his nature is is God. And so there's there's one God, and the Son is not somehow some other nature than the Father or, or, or essence. Um, so they're of the same essence. So that, um, that helped kind of put down the Aryan contro- controversy for the time, although you still see it pop up today, and um, I think many parts of the wider Christian church are either, you know, Arians without really realizing it, or sometimes even openly, but um, that's still around. Really, all the the heresies the church has dealt with throughout history are still around today, in sometimes different names. Um, But anyway, then then there's the third ecumenical creed um, called the Athanasian Creed. And that was formulated sometime around 500 A.D. And it goes into a lot more detail about the nature of the Trinity and, and the persons of the Trinity. So, um, and that that creed is uh, a couple pages long. It's, it's, it's a lot longer. And we call these three creeds the ecumenical creeds because for the most part, they, um, they are shared among the wider church. So the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And uh, they're used within the Western church at least... Um, so, um, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, Anglicans, or Episcopalians and Presbyterians use these, uh, three creeds. The United Methodist Church uses the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, but not the Athanasian Creed. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church uses the Nicene Creed, but not the other two. Um, and then within the, within the churches that use all three creeds, 
the apostles and the Nicene Creed are used most often in the services on Sundays as a as a way for the the congregation to confess uh, their faith as a corporate entity together as the church, and then the Athanasian Creed is normally used just on Trinity Sunday in the church year because the Trinity Sunday focuses on the three persons of the Trinity, and and this the Athanasian Creed goes into a lot of detail about those three persons. Um, so that's the creeds. Now, what's the function of the creeds? It provides they they provide a, a common way of stating what Christians believe, um, and kind of the bare minimum of of common belief, and and this common confession of belief, and it also serves as kind of like I mentioned, going back to the rules of faith, kind of a, a ruler to judge other teachings against. So, at a bare minimum, you can see if something matches or is in accord with the creeds uh, that someone says. Um, so uh, if someone were to say, well, Jesus was adopted as the Son of God at his baptism, you could refer back to the creeds and, the creeds and say, no, that's not true. Um, that's not what the church has taught uh, since the beginning. The church has taught that Christ is the incarnate Word of God, um, and he's the second person of the Trinity from eternity, and he was there. Um, he's the one through whom... All things were created in the beginning in Genesis. So that's that's kind of how the creeds help to uh, defend against heresy and false teaching as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about the creeds themselves. So if you look at the Apostles' Creed, again, it developed from the early rules of faith and uh, kind of came out of the old Roman Creed and it's organized in the three articles, which each talk about a person in the Trinity. Um, so I'm not going to read the creed here, um, but I encourage you to look it up as we talk about it. But you'll see in the first article um, that uh, it talks about God, the Father who made everything. So he's the same God then of the Old and New Testaments. He made heaven and earth, and the Old Testament testament particularly genesis talks a lot about god creating everything so the same god we have faith in is the the god who created everything and the the god um who sent his son um and and then the second article article is about the son so jesus christ he's both true god and true man um he is the second person of the trinity and he came in the flesh born of the virgin mary and conceived by the holy spirit um and then he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and, died, and was buried. So he came in a specific historical time period. So Christ broke into history in order to achieve our salvation. And it happened at a specific time um, that, especially back in, in, the, in the early church days of the New Testament, people could point to and say, yes, during the reign of Pontius Pilate as fifth prefect of Judea, this is when our Savior um, uh, was crucified. So, um, and then the last part of the, the second article talks about how Christ rose from the dead and then ascended back into heaven to justify humanity before our Heavenly Father. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament has um, a, a lot of great imagery related to this as, uh, as Christ as the high priest, the true high priest who enters into the presence of God on our behalf to atone for our sins with his own blood. 
Um, so that's the point of this part of the creed. And then Christ is returning at the end of the age to resurrect everyone uh, for the judgment. Um, and uh, both body and soul then. So the third article talks about the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's the one who creates unity in the church uh, around Christ and brings us to faith. So we receive all the things that the third article mentions, uh, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So um, again, the Father sends the Son. Um, Son died and rise for us to achieve our salvation, and then they send the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith in what the Son has done so that we receive the salvation as our own. Uh, and then you notice in the third article, too, it talks about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So the Christian hope is not really to die and go to heaven. Instead, it's the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So when we die, our bodies go and decay um, wherever they end up, but our souls go to rest with God. And then at the resurrection, our souls are reunited with our bodies um, so that we'll live forever um, with God as, as he created us to be because God created us to be um, uh, both body and soul. That's who we are as people. So um, that's a, a, kind of a brief overview of the Apostles' Creed. So then uh, let's, let's look at the Nicene Creed. And one of the first things you'll notice about the Nicene Creed is that it's a little more detailed than the Apostles' Creed. And you look at the first article, and it, go, it says that um, God made heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. So it's you know, trying to shut out any uh, sort of equivocation there. Um, you know, God made everything, even things you can't see. Um, and then the second article, again, a little more detailed, speaks more about the person of Christ and who he is, and it, it's trying to make the point that he's true God, and he's the same nature as the Father. He's not some different type of God or different nature. So he's, um, he's God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. So the word begotten is important because we beget things that are of the same nature as ourselves, but we make things that are of different nature than ourselves. So um, as a human, uh, we beget other humans, but we make cars and tables and so on. So God begot, the, the Father begot the Son, um, and but they made the world because the world is of different nature. It's, the world is not God, but the Son is God because he was begotten of the Father. So... Um, Another point in the second article is Christ is the one through, all, through whom all things were made. He's the Word of God. And John talks about this in the introduction to his gospel. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. So the same Word of God, uh, through whom the Father spoke everything into existence in Genesis 1, came in the flesh to save us and the rest of his creation by restoring it and reconciling us uh, to God. And then um, um, you'll notice it talks about Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's returning in glory for the resurrection and the judgment. So his return will not be like his incarnation where people didn't recognize him or know who he was except through faith. When he returns, everyone will know who he is and he will rule over an everlasting kingdom, uh, which is the restored creation. And then uh, the third article. Um, it talks about how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
Um, and so the he does the will of, of, of both, and he brings people to faith in Christ. And note there, too, the connection with the Old Testament. Um, the prophets spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the prophetic message of the Old Testament was pointing to Christ as well. So all, all the scriptures are centered around Christ. And then the last part of the third article talks about how we believe in, in one true universal church. So if you think about it, that, that is an article of faith because we don't see the church united in this, in this world right now. Um, we see divisions. We see d- different denominations. We see different types of teachings. Um, but we believe that despite all that, that there is one true universal church and that God knows who, who his people are. And what that means, too, is that um, what we would call the visible churches in this world, the, the different denominations and congregations and non-denominational churches and all that, that no one of them is is that true universal church. Um, rather, the, the universal church cuts through and, and across all those different divisions. And at the resurrection, all those divisions will be gone, and the church will be truly united um, again for, for eternity. And then uh, we, uh, we, look, uh, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. That's how um, Christ's forgiveness and reconciliation comes to us. And we, again, we look for the resurrection of the body and the life uh, everlasting, the life of the world to come. So that's a brief overview of the Nicene Creed. And then um, I will close up here by talking a little bit about the Athanasian Creed. And uh, I won't, again, I'm not going to read the Athanasian Creed, um, but if you look it up, you'll see it's it's a lot more detailed and it goes into a lot more um, analysis or detail about the persons of the Trinity and the person of Christ. And uh, again, it's making this point that God's a Trinity. He's one God and three persons. Um, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those are the three persons of the Trinity. Each person is distinct, and yet each is fully God. And so there's not three gods, and there's also not one God pretending, pretending to be three people. Instead, there really are three persons and yet just one God because they're all of the same nature or essence. And then the creed makes the point that the Father is neither made nor begotten. Um, The Son, though, is begotten of the Father, not made. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So that's about the Trinity then. And then it goes into a lot of detail about uh, Jesus Christ, so Jesus is the Son, and he's both true God and true man. So he's 100% each. Uh, so he's two natures in one person. So he's one person who is both God and man. He's not two separate people um, somehow glued together, and he's not some third nature that's, not, that's neither God nor man. And what I mean by that is it's, it's not like uh, you took man and God and blended them together, and then that's Jesus. Jesus is completely God and completely man at the same time. And the great thing about that, too, is you see in his own person the reconciliation that he affects between us and God, because in his own person, he's reconciling humanity and God together. And that's what he's doing for us. He's reconciling us back to God, forgiving our sins so that we can dwell in eternity with our, our God who made us. And then... Uh, Again, you see the point that uh, in the creed that Jesus Jesus is begotten, 
not created or made. Um, and then uh, there, um, there are some uh, great uh, images of, of the Trinity too, where um, you have, uh, you have, I'm trying to describe it. There, there's images of, of God with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kind of in a triangle, and um, there's lines connecting all them, and it says the, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Um, but then there's lines connecting the Father with the Spirit and the Son. And so the Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. And these sorts of diagrams are just trying to express the point that each person of the Trinity is distinct and unique, and yet they are all fully God. And so whatever you can say about one person of the Trinity as God, you can say about any of the others. So the Son's eternal, the Father's eternal, the Holy Spirit's eternal. Um, and you see that a lot in the uh, in the Athanasian Creed. So I'm going to close it up there, and um, I hope that you learned something and that this helps. Um, there's a lot of a uh, lot of things um, that you can kind of dive into as you look at the creeds more closely. But the main importance of the of the creeds really is that it connects us with the wider church, um, both across time and geography. So. You know, as we confess our faith using the creeds, there's Christians who came uh, many, many uh, uh, years before us who confessed their faith in, in the same way. And there'll be Christians coming after us confessing their faith the same way as well until Christ returns. And um, as part of that, too, it provides a common way of stating what we believe. And, uh, and, and also a basic framework for understanding the, the basics of the Christian faith. You know, what, what do we mean there? So, uh, um, and then as part of that, it provides a witnessing tool to easily describe the faith to others and, and to defend against false teaching. So anyway, thanks for listening, and um, I hope you learned something, and I'll see you next time. Thanks.